This morning, we're continuing our Bible study on Colossians called Established in Grace. This is teaching number 12, the reconciliation of humanity to God. And we're reading from Colossians 1, 19 through 22. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross, through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And you were at one time strangers and enemies in your minds as expressed through your evil deeds. But now Jesus has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you holy without blemish and blameless before him. But in the last teaching, we looked at God reconciling all things in heaven and on earth to himself in Jesus. So in our teaching this morning, we're going to look at God reconciling humanity to himself in Jesus. And so we're going to look at reconciliation, that God has reconciled humanity to himself through Jesus. So the question is, what is reconciliation? Reconciliation is the act of God in Jesus where God reunites himself with humanity in a relationship by removing the obstacle that once separated us from him. All right, reconciliation is also the act of God in Jesus where God reunites himself with humanity in a relationship by resolving the problem that once separated us from God. Removing the obstacle which resolved the problem happened through the blood of Jesus when he died on the cross. So the verse we're looking at is Colossians 1.22, where Paul writes, to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross. So it's the heart of God to bring us into relationship with himself by resolving the problem and by removing the obstacle. So this leaves us asking two questions. Question number one, What is the problem that God resolved through the cross, through the blood of Jesus, and through the death of Jesus? And what is the obstacle that God removed through the cross, through the blood, and through the death of Jesus? All right, the problem and the obstacle are are the same. The problem is sin, and the obstacle is sin. And so what God has done in Christ is he's eternally removed the obstacle of sin that stood between himself and a relationship with us. And he's resolved the problem of sin that stood between himself and a relationship with us. So whenever reconciliation needs to happen, whether it's, you know, two people who let's say they're married and and they're, they're separated, there's a separation between them. There's, there's a problem that needs to be resolved in order to bring them together again. There's an obstacle that has separated them. So reconciliation is bringing together two people who who are to be in relationship with one another, but there's a problem that's separating them. There's an obstacle that's separating them. That problem needs to be resolved. That obstacle needs to be removed. Colossians 1.21 explains this problem. It explains the obstacle says, and you, which is the entire human race, and you were at one time prior to the reconciliation of God to humanity, you were at one time alienated and enemies in your minds as expressed through your evil deeds, all right? Enemies in our minds are sinful desires. They're sinful thoughts that are against God. 
and our evil deeds or sinful deeds that are also against God. So this idea of being alienated, you were at one time alienated. Now, to be alienated from God is to be disconnected from God, to be separated from God, to be outside of a relationship with God. So we were created to be in a relationship with God, but sin has separated humanity from God. The problem of sin, the obstacle of sin has separated humanity from God, alienated. We're outside of a relationship with God. Not only is the human race at one time alienated from a relationship with God, but also enemies in our minds. So enemies is to be against God. We're we're against God. The, The sinful mind, the sinful desires, the sinful deeds of humanity are against God. So against God in our thoughts, against God in our desires, that's internal. The deeds are external. The desires are internal. So humanity in our sinful state, in our sinful condition, internally, our desires are against God. Externally, our deeds are against God. God is love. And we're going to see a little bit later that what humanity is really against is the love of God. God still loves us, but we've alienated ourselves from his love. We've, we've turned away from his love. We've gone our own way. We've made our own decisions, and we have unloving desires, and we have unloving decisions. We'll look at how that works out a little bit later. But in our minds, the human race is enemies of God, meaning against God in our thoughts and desires. The human race chose to be alienated from God and against God. So Colossians 1.21 says that not only were we, the human race, enemies, that's against God in our minds, meaning our thoughts and our desires, which is internal, we were also enemies against God, hostile to God in our decisions and deeds. Colossians 1.21 again says, and you, the entire human race, were at one time alienated and enemies in your mind. So God's not the enemy of the human race. The human race made itself an enemy to God. God continued to love the human race and has has come to us to bring reconciliation. The human race didn't initiate reconciliation. God initiated reconciliation to the human race in Christ. So in you, the entire human race, were at one time alienated and enemies in your minds as expressed through your evil or sinful deeds and sinful desire. So Let's look at some verses that explain further the hostility in our minds, the minds of the human race, alienated from God, disconnected from God, an enemy toward God, hostile toward God. Let's look at some other verses that support this. Romans one twenty one speaks about the sinful mind of humanity. It says their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the, the futility of the thoughts of mankind apart from God. Romans 8, 6 through 7 says the mind governed by the flesh. So what's the flesh? The flesh is the sinful desires of humanity apart from God. The flesh is also the sinful decisions of humanity apart from God. It's the idea of being alienated from God, of being hostile to God, of being uh, an enemy toward God in our desires, and in our decisions. So Romans 8, 6, and 7 says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. All right, God is love. 
And so a hostile mind is against the love of God. We have desires in our hearts or desires in, in the heart that's disconnected from God, desires in the mind, the flesh, that are unloving desires. Somebody asked me one time, they said, hey, Brad, what do I do with these desires? I know I've come to faith in Christ. I've trusted Christ. I believe I'm a new creation in Christ. So why do I still have these desires? And I explained to him that those aren't your desires. If those were your desires, you'd be happy you were having them. They're the desires of the flesh. And so there's a battle between the spirit of Christ in us and the flesh. The fruit of the spirit is love. That's the first fruit. The fruit of the spirit is love. And it expresses itself in joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness. But the mind of the flesh is the very opposite of love. So if we were to go back into Romans chapter 7, before we get to the mind governed by the flesh is death, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. The context of that is a man who was seeking to make himself righteous to God by obeying the Ten Commandments. He chose the Tenth Commandment, which was thou shalt not covet, And the more he tried not to covet, the more he coveted. Coveting is breaking all the commandments in my heart. These unloving thoughts, these unloving desires, jealousy would come forth from him when he tried not to covet. Envy would come forth from him when he tried not to covet. And so that's the mind governed by the flesh. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God because the natural sinful mind, the natural sinful heart apart from Christ is unloving. We're going to look at that, how it works itself out momentarily. But Ephesians 4, 17 through 18 describes the thoughts, that mankind's thoughts are, are at, they're alienated from God. We're enemies in our minds apart from Christ toward God. Ephesians 4, 17 through 18 says, the futility of their thinking They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God or they're separated from the life of God or they're disconnected from the life of God or a relationship with God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So humanity has a major problem to resolve. It's a sin problem, a mind problem, a desire problem, a heart problem, a decision problem that exists because humanity chose to be against God. Humanity chose to walk away from God. Humanity chose to alienate themselves from God. So God's not the one who's against us. God's not an enemy to us. God is seeking reconciliation with the human race. All right. So God moves to resolve this problem that that mankind placed between God and themselves. So the sin problem became a human-placed obstacle between God and humanity. We separated ourselves from God. Look what Isaiah 53, 6 says. It describes it well. It says, we, the human race, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way. So it would be like a sheep declaring itself independent from the shepherd. I'm against the shepherd. I'm hostile to the shepherd. I want to separate myself from the shepherd. I want to do my own thing. I want to go my own way. I want to make my own decisions. And that's what the human race did. We're, we're like sheep 
we turned away from God, we walked away from God, and we went our own way. But God comes toward us, and we're going to look at this a little bit later, to find us as the shepherd. So when did the sin obstacle come, and when did the sin problem start? So let's go back to the beginning of time when God created humanity. And in Genesis 1.27, it reads, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we're created in the image of God, which means the image of God is love. God is love. So being created in his image, we were created to be loved by God. We were created to experience the love of God. And we were created to, in return, love him back with the love that he loved us with, to return that love. So we were created to be in a relationship with God. God created us to be in that relationship with himself. But mankind chose to walk away from God like a sheep walking away from the shepherd or like a fish leaving the water, declaring ourselves independent from God. I don't want to be in relationship with God. I'm going to alienate myself from God. I'm going to be hostile to God. I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to do my own thing. So sin entered the human race and the human heart when Adam chose to walk away from God. And Adam represented the entire human race. So in representing the entire human race, he walked away from God. And in doing so, we walked away from God. So sin entered the human race and the human heart. And consequently, we see the breakdown of humanity's relationship with God and humanity's relationship with each other. Look what happened when Adam, after he walked away from God, says Adam and Eve hid from God because they were afraid of him. That's Genesis 3, 8 through 10. And so one of the first consequences that we see is Adam became afraid of God. He hid from God. He couldn't be honest. He couldn't be open. He couldn't be transparent. He was full of shame. He was full of guilt. He was full of self-condemnation. He was full of self-hatred and self-judgment. So you see the effect immediately between the human race and God. It's not God hiding from us. The human race began to hide from God. So not only when sin entered the human race did humanity become hostile to God, but humanity began to hide from God. And we see that with Adam and Eve. And, it, and God came to Adam and Eve and he said, where are you? And they answered, we hid from you because we were afraid of you. All right. The first emotion we see in the human race following this disconnection and this alienation between the human race and God, the first emotion that shows up is fear. We hid from you because we were afraid of you, which was what Satan wanted. Satan desired that humanity be afraid of God. Satan desired that humanity not experience the love of God. Not only do we see Adam and Eve hiding from God out of shame and guilt and fear, but we see that Adam blamed God and Eve for what happened. So we see this relational breakdown between God and Adam and Eve, and we also see this relational breakdown between Adam and Eve. Adam blamed God and Adam blamed Eve for what happened. Eve then blamed the serpent. Cain eventually murdered Abel. So we see the first act of unlove, but before, before this murder of Abel happened by Cain, he would have had to have murder in his heart. 
he would have had to have anger in his heart. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you've had anger in your heart, you've committed murder. So Cain, before he committed murder with his hands, had anger in his heart. So we see the human heart becoming contaminated by sin, becoming corrupted by sin, because we disconnected ourselves from love. And being disconnected from love, then we can't love. That's really what sin is. If we could bring sin down to its, its core definition, sin is the inability to love. Think about this. If love fulfills the law, so the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, I believe, that love is the fulfillment of the law. If I love you, I won't murder you. If I love you, I won't lie to you. If I love you, I won't steal from you. So love is the fulfillment of the law. And the Bible also says that sin is breaking the law. So if love is the fulfillment of the law and sin is breaking the law, then sin at its core definition is the inability to love. And that's what happened to the human race. When we disconnected ourselves from the love of God, we were created to experience his love. We were created to express his love. And when we disconnected ourselves from the love of God, he continued to love us, but we disconnected ourselves from his love. Then the human heart became contaminated with unlove, with sin, unlove. So we see that Cain eventually murdered Abel. And we see the heart of mankind became evil. Genesis 6-5 describes the effect of sin upon the human heart. Genesis 6-5 reads, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. Why? Why did the human race become greatly wicked? Because the heart of the human race did not contain love. And where love is not contained then love cannot be, we cannot be channels of love. If, if, if the human heart doesn't contain love, then we can't be channels of love. Whatever the heart contains will be the choices of the heart. So if our hearts do not contain love, then the choices that we make will be unloving choices. That's why we see that the first fruit of the Spirit is love, that, that the Spirit of Christ in us has come to produce love in us. And we see in Romans 5, 5 that God has, poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit to begin to develop within the human heart love again. So sin entered the human heart through Adam and Eve. Sin contaminated and corrupted the human heart so that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts, all right, that takes us back to Colossians. We were reading earlier the we alienated ourselves from God. We became hostile to God in our thoughts and our desires and hostile to God in our deeds. So that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So we see that humanity had a major heart problem, had a major sin problem. And this heart problem and this sin problem was an obstacle that separated them from God Yet God pursues the human race in love. We're about to come up on Christmas pretty soon. That's the pursuit of God of the human race in love. All right, in Matthew 15, 19, Jesus describes the sinful condition of the human heart. Look what Jesus says. For out of the heart, that's the flesh, come evil thoughts, 
from evil thoughts come become murder. That's Cain killing Abel, right? Before he murdered, before Cain murdered Abel, he had evil thoughts toward Abel. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Notice what the first description Jesus says here. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. That's why Jesus said, if you've had lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. We don't have to carry something out physically before it's a sin internally, because sin starts in the heart. So this contamination and the corruption of the human heart, which Jesus talked about, which we read about in Genesis 6, 5, by sin is what Paul is referring to in Colossians 1, 21, when he writes, and you, the entire human race, were at one time alienated and enemies in your minds, that's our sinful desires, as expressed through your evil deeds, that's our sinful decisions. So when mankind disconnected ourselves from God in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the human race, flowed throughout every human being that's, that's ever been born, and we became alienated from God, that's outside of a relationship with him, separated from him. As a result of this alienation, we became enemies in our minds, sinful desires and sinful decisions. So in the Garden of Eden, humanity willfully decided to disconnect themselves from God. We decided to disconnect ourselves from God. We decided to separate ourselves from God. Humanity decided to go against God. That's become an enemy in our thoughts and decisions. We became hostile to God. God is love, and humanity began to live lives that were not loving lives. But here's the good news is that God through Jesus in love comes to the human race to reconcile us to himself. This is an amazing love here that even though humanity chose to disconnect ourselves from God, to disconnect ourselves from a love relationship with God, God desires and desired and still desires a loving relationship with with humanity, with each person. So God has revealed himself to us in Jesus as the great reconciler. God in Jesus is going to solve the problem of sin, and God in Jesus is going to remove the obstacle of sin to reconcile us to himself or to reunite us to himself in a love relationship. And this is described by Jesus when Jesus talks about he's the shepherd who searches for the lost sheep. So we remember we read Isaiah, and in Isaiah it said the human race has become like a sheep. They've turned against God. They've gone their own way. But God is the shepherd in Jesus who looks for the lost sheep, which tells us that God loves humanity, that God values humanity, and God wants to reach out to us and to bring us back into relationship with himself. So Jesus we find is the one is the shepherd who searches for the lost sheep in Luke 15, four through seven. He's also the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We find that in John 10, 11. Remember that the penalty for sin is death. God told Adam, if, if you eat of the tree, you will die. Death entered the human race. Jesus came to pay that death penalty for the entire human race. So when we read like uh, Romans chapter 5, 12 through 21, it describes Adam as representing the entire human race when we 
chose to rebel against God, disconnect ourselves from God, alienate ourselves from God. But also in Romans 5, 12 through 21, Jesus represented the entire human race when he went to the cross. And everything that Adam did affects us in a negative way, but everything that Jesus did at the cross affects us in a positive way. Adam chose to walk away from a relationship with God. Sin entered the human race. Jesus goes to the cross, pays the sin penalty, and now we can choose to walk back into relationship with God because of what Christ has done for us. God has reconciled us to himself, but he doesn't force us to be reconciled to him. That's a choice that he gives mankind. Now, in Hebrews 13, 20, we find that Jesus is a shepherd who spills his blood for the sheep to bring in the new covenant or to bring in the new Testament, which reconciles us to God. So Hebrews 13, 20 reads, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant or the eternal Testament brought back the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So it's the new covenant or the new Testament that reconciles us to God because Jesus established the new covenant. He established the new Testament when he went to the cross and he died for us. The obstacle sin was removed at the cross. The problem of sin was removed at the cross. That's what the new Testament is. That's what the new covenant is. Now, Jesus speaks about the new Testament in Matthew 26, 26 through 28, and he speaks about the New Testament or the New Covenant, 22, 19 through 20. So in Matthew and Luke, we read the following. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. This is the shepherd giving his life for the sheep. The sheep has wandered away and the shepherd is bringing the sheep back by giving his life for the sheep. It's the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep and establishing this new covenant to reconcile us to God. Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant or the new Testament, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The many here is the entire human race minus Jesus. So when you read Romans chapter 5, 12 through 21, it talks about Jesus gave his life for the many. Well, the many is the entire human race minus him because he's part of the human race, but he had no sin. So it's, it's the entire human race minus Jesus is the many. Jesus died for all people. Something I, I talk about a lot, and I just want to continue to maybe reinforce the thought is when we hear New Testament, we automatically think books. And so part of the renewing of the mind as a believer is learning to not associate the New Testament with books. Some people will make the faulty explanation and they will say, well, there's a difference between the New Testament and the New Covenant. They'll say the New Testament represents the books and the New Covenant represents the blood. That couldn't be further from biblical truth. That person is trying to reconcile 
or to somehow keep Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. In their minds, they cannot believe that Matthew chapter 1 is still an Old Testament chapter. And chapter 2 is Old Testament, chapter 3. Because they've been conditioned over many years to believe that the New Testament is a set of books. And it's not a set of books. Jesus put it perfectly here when he said, this is the New Covenant, New Testament, same Greek word, depending on what Bible somebody may be reading. Some translations will say covenant. Some translations will say testament, but it's still the Greek word that means testament or covenant. So when we read all the way up to the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, we're still under the Mosaic law. That's what Old Testament means. The Mosaic law was still in effect. That's why you'll see Jesus saying things like to the disciples, go show yourself to the priest. Why? Because the priest was still in effect. It's still Old Testament. All that changes after Christ dies on the cross. So I just wanted to, to reinstate that there. When you hear people try to say, hey, the New Testament starts with Matthew 1 and the New Covenant starts w- with the cross, that person's just trying to, to figure this thing out, and they're just not willing to accept what Scripture clearly teaches because they just can't understand that in their minds. All right, so Paul writes about the New Testament or the New Covenant and reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Notice that when Jesus talked about the initiation or the establishment of the new covenant or the New Testament, he says, which is poured out for many, that's the entire human race, for the forgiveness of sins. So remember that when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, God said, you will surely die. So it's the forgiveness of that death penalty. It's the removal of that death penalty. It's the resolving of that problem. Jesus resolved it, and through the blood of Christ, sins have been forgiven. So Jesus appears to Paul and gives Paul great revelation about the New Testament. He gives Paul great revelation about the New Covenant. Again, it's not books. It's blood. It's what Christ did on the cross for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 about the New Testament or the New Covenant and the ministry of reconciliation. It says, all this is from God. Now, what's Paul talking about there? He's referring to the beginning of chapter 3, where he says, I am a minister of the New Covenant, or I'm a minister of the New Testament. And he talks about the Old Covenant of the Mosaic Law brings death, and it's a ministry of death, but the New Covenant or the New Testament brings life. So he says this ministry of the New Testament, this ministry of the New Covenant, this ministry of the blood of Christ where Jesus ushered in this new way of relating to God where sins are forgiven. He says all this is from God. So Paul's making it very clear. He's not making up the message that he's communicating. He's saying, hey, this message that I'm communicating is not my message. It's actually the message of Jesus. I'm an ambassador of Jesus announcing to you what he did for you on the cross. And what he did for you on the cross is called the New Testament. It's called the New Covenant. It's called the Ministry of Reconciliation. So Paul says, all this is from God who, here's this word, reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he's going to tell us, Paul's going to explain, how did this Ministry of Reconciliation happen? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
And Paul says, gave us, that's he and his ministry team that he was on these missionary journeys with, taking the new covenant message into the Gentile cities, that God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which is telling people about what Christ did on the cross. And here's the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now, why would the world need to be reconciled to God? Because the entire world became hostile to God. The entire world became alienated from God. The entire world became an enemy to God when Adam chose to walk away from God in the Garden of Eden. And we saw the hostility of Cain to Abel. We saw how wicked the human heart had become on earth. So the the human race needed to be reconciled to God by the removal of the sin problem and the sin obstacle. So all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And here it is, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's exactly what Jesus said in, in Luke 22 and in Matthew 26. This is the new covenant given in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Paul's just explaining this. It, it, Paul got the great revelation of what the New Testament really is and what it was. And, and he became an ambassador of Jesus because why? Jesus wasn't on earth anymore. Jesus was in heaven. Paul represented the message that Jesus wanted to declare on earth. And we'll see that in just a moment. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's the best news. Why is God not counting our sins against us? Well, how many of our sins were counted against Jesus? The obvious answer is all of our sins were counted against Jesus. So if all of our sins were counted against Jesus, then how many of our sins are left to be counted against us? That's the good news of the gospel of grace. None of our sins are left to be counted against us because at the cross, the blood of Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins. There's none left to be counted. If I have a major debt that I owe, but I can't pay, and somebody comes and pays that debt for me in full, how much of that debt am I responsible to pay for now, now that it's been paid in full? None of it, because it's all been paid for. That's what Christ did for us at the cross. That is the New Testament message. That's the new covenant message. All right. That God was reconciling the world to himself. So God wants a relationship with everybody. God was reconciling the world to himself for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world. The world turned it back, turned its back on the love of God, but God, the shepherd pursues us in love because he wants a relationship with us. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting our sins against us. So God has removed the obstacle that existed between himself and humanity. God has resolved the problem that existed between himself and humanity. Nobody's sin can keep them out of a relationship with God because everybody's sins were nailed to the cross. The only thing that can keep somebody out of a relationship with God is failure to trust in what Jesus did at the cross. It's a continual, I want to continue to be hostile to God. I want to continue to be alienated from God. I want to continue to walk away and to live my own life and do my own thing and make my own choices and my own decisions. I still want to be the sheep away from the shepherd. I still want to be the fish outside the water because the, the deck's been cleared. 
Anybody can come into relationship with God, no matter how many sins or how messy the sins of people are, because they were all nailed to the cross. And God lovingly awaits for us to have a relationship with us. But he also sends people out to declare that message. So Paul goes on the right, and God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What's our message to communicate to people now that the new covenant has gone into effect? Well, the new covenant went into effect at the cross. Our message is a message of reconciliation. And what's that message? That God wants a relationship with you, and he took all of your sins, past, present, and future. He's nailed them to the cross. There's nothing that will keep you outside of a relationship with God, except a desire to be outside a relationship with God. Your desires, the sinful desires nailed to the cross. The deeds nailed to the cross. But if a person wants to make a decision to stay outside of a relationship with God, God leaves them that choice to make that decision. So Paul goes on to say that God has committed to us the message of reconciliation And we are therefore Christ ambassadors. Now, an ambassador of Christ, we're communicating a message from Christ. What is Jesus's message today that's so important to understand? We've got to understand that the ascended message of Jesus has everything to do with the cross, has everything to do with the blood of Christ. And so we, this is our message to share with people, to help people understand, to communicate this good news that we are therefore Christ ambassadors. We're, we're speaking the message of the ascended Jesus because he's not on earth. We're on earth. We're the ones who get to communicate this message. So we're therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So what's the appeal of God as an ambassador of Christ that God is making through Paul and and now through us to the human race. Here's the appeal. Here's the announcement. Here's the message that God loves you, that God wants a relationship with you, that no sin you've committed, no matter how messy and no matter how many times that sin has been nailed to the cross. God is not angry with you. God is not mad at you. God is not against you. God is not hostile towards you. God is the shepherd who loves you. God is the shepherd who's given his life for you to be in relationship with you. God is the shepherd who seeks you to find you, to bring you in relationship with himself. That, that's our message to people now. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God himself were making his appeal. What, what's God's appeal? That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. That forgiveness is now offered to us in the person of Christ, and we receive forgiveness by faith. That's God's appeal. That's when we're ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. And look what Paul says. We implore you on Christ's behalf. So he's speaking this new covenant message on the behalf of Jesus. Paul is speaking this New Testament message, which is not about books. It's about blood on behalf of Jesus. And here's the message that Paul was speaking. It's God's not counting your sins against you. And then he says this, be reconciled to God. So he leaves that decision up to mankind. God has cleared the deck. God has removed the sin. There's not a sin problem between God and humanity anymore because God's not counting our sins against us. There's not a sin obstacle between God and humanity because God's not counting our sins against us. So this idea of being reconciled to God, well, how? 
And Paul states, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. How much of our sin did Jesus take at the cross? All of it. So that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God, or we might stand right before God. We might stand innocent before God. We may stand clean and holy and pure before God because of what Christ did. And how does a person enter into that? By faith, by trusting, by believing. And Paul explains that, you know, in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, it's by faith we enter into this love relationship. We trust, we believe, we accept what Christ has done for us. Now, Romans 5, 8 through 11 expresses God's initiative of grace to reconcile us to himself in Jesus. Look at Romans 5, 8 through 11, and it reads like this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. So we notice that God still loved the human race. While we were sinners, while we were alienated from God, while we were hostile to God, God continued to love us. And he demonstrates this love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that's the human race, while we were still hostile to God, while we were still alienated from God, Christ died for us. He took care of the sin of the sinners. The problem's been resolved at the cross. The obstacle's been removed at the cross because God loves us and he wants a relationship with us. And Christ died for us because the penalty for sin is death. Since we've now been justified by his blood, the blood of Jesus makes us innocent before God because his blood was proof that he took our guilt upon the cross. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? The wrath of God is, is one of the topics of the book of Romans. To me, the wrath of God is the love of God, where he cleanses the earth of all sin and all sinners. Everything unloving in this earth is going to be cleansed and removed and taken away. And what's going to remain is love love for one another and God's love for us and our love for God. And, and that's going to work itself out and, and come to final completion and, and fruition in Revelation chapter 20, the new heaven, the new earth. It's, it's just going to be the utopia of love. And all sin and sinners will be removed. Satan will be removed. That, that the wrath of God is not this anger of God towards sinners, because if it was, then it wouldn't say, say but God demonstrates his own love for us and this while we were still sinners. The wrath of God is the cleansing of the earth. It's the loving cleansing and the purification of the earth as he moves to creating the new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness, where there's no more hurt and there's no more pain and there's no more destruction and there's no more death and there's no more disease. It's, it's a grace environment, a love environment. For if while we were God's enemies, that takes us back to Colossians, alienated from God, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So God reconciled the entire human race to himself through the death of Jesus. All right. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's faith in the resurrection of Christ as well. He's reconciled the entire human race to himself by meaning this. He's removed the sin obstacle. He's removed the sin problem. But the entire human race has not reconciled themselves to God through trusting in what Christ has done. All right. 
For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, his blood on the cross, his death, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning look what God has done for us in Christ. Our boasting, it's, it's God loves us. God wants a relationship with us. God removed the sin penalty from us. God removed the sin problem. God removed the sin obstacle. We can in, enter into a relationship with God through what Christ has done, and we can enjoy a relationship with God, which is what Jesus has made possible for us. So it says, we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the confidence that you and I have now, boasting is a sense of confidence. I'm confident in my relationship with God because I know all my sins have been paid for. I'm confident in my relationship with God because I know that my sinfulness was nailed to the cross. I'm confident in my relationship with God because I now know that I'm completely forgiven and completely righteous and and I'm the recipient of the grace of God that he's freely given me in Christ. And I've received that by faith. So this boasting, this confidence that we now have in our relationship with God because of what Christ has done for us. And when we take our focus off what Christ did, we lose our confidence in a hurry. We can become self-righteous or we can become self-pity. Self-righteous, whenever I take my eyes off of Jesus and place them on myself, I can become, we can become self-righteous. Look at me, I'm doing good, or look at me, I'm not doing good. So now my confidence or boasting or lack of boasting is in myself rather than in Jesus. So the object of our boasting and the object of our confidence is in the person of Jesus. Because through whom, through Jesus, we have now received reconciliation. So reconciliation has to be received. Reconciliation is a gift. Remember, the Bible says the gift of righteousness. Romans 5, 17, the abundant gift of righteousness that God has provided for us that we have to receive as a gift. So reconciliation has to be received by faith in Jesus. So to reconcile himself to us, God in reconciling himself to us, it pleased God to do this because God wants a relationship with us, just like it would please the shepherd to go find the sheep and the water would be pleased once the fish got back into the water. Well, it pleased God to reconcile himself to us through what Jesus did. It gave God great pleasure to remove the obstacle of sin to resolve the problem of sin and to reunite himself to us in relationship. And it gives him great pleasure when we receive this reconciliation by faith in Christ. Colossians 1, 19 through 21, which is where we began our study. It talks about how pleased God was to reconcile himself to us in Jesus. Look at this, starting with verse 19. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, that's the removal of the obstacle, that's the resolving of the problem, making peace with us through his blood shed on the cross. Once before the New Testament went into effect, once before the new covenant went into effect, once before the cross, once before the blood of Jesus was shed for the sins of humanity, 
once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, see these two words? Once you, but now. This is Old Covenant, New Covenant. This is Old Testament, New Testament. Once under the Old Testament, once under the Old Covenant, once before the cross, but now after the cross. That's so key, you guys, in understanding the Bible. Unless we understand there is a once before the cross and a now after the cross, and God relates to humanity from the point of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins, that changes how we interpret Scripture. All Scripture is equally valuable, but not all Scripture is equally applicable. How do I know what's applicable and not? Well, I've got to I've got to learn to see Scripture before and after the cross. I've got to learn to see Scripture before the old covenant, after the old covenant. God relating to Israel under the law of Moses, and God relating to the church through the blood of Jesus. Those are essential basic elements that help us understand the scripture and help us interpret scripture. So once before the cross, under the old covenant of law, you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, verse 22. But now after the cross, in this new covenant, where God's not counting our sins against us, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. The death took care of the, the sin problem and the sin obstacle, been removed. God's not counting our sins against us. To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So this New Testament, this new covenant, the blood of Christ forgives our sins and when we receive this reconciliation, which to me, Colossians 1.23, which talks about if you continue in the faith, it's, it's, this is receiving the reconciliation. Verses 19 through 22 is, here's what Christ did. Verse 23, it's, it's receiving this. It's accepting this. It's believing this to be true. We'll look at that next week. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, pure, cleansed from all sin, without blemish, and free from accusation, which means you and I stand clean before God. We stand innocent before God. We stand righteous before God because everything unholy and unrighteous and all the sins we committed were nailed to the cross. And when we place our faith in Jesus, God says, you're holy. You're without blemish. There's no, no sin I can accuse you of having committed now because it was nailed to the cross. But it's only applicable when you move into verse 23, if you continue in the faith, if you believe this to be true, if you accept this as truth and not moved away from this hope held out in the gospel, which is what we just talked about. And that's what was going on in Colossae. These false teachers were trying to move people away from the gospel, away from what everything you and I just talked about, to turn their back on it, to say, no, the, the cross isn't true, and Jesus isn't the Christ, and, and this is a false message, and, and to get them to turn away from Jesus. We'll look at that next week. 